Uh, yeah, I had confidence. I wanted the ball at the end of the game to uh, get free throws, knowing they had to foul us and uh, try to put the game away as much as possible. It looked like they were about to pull something that we pulled early in the year, but, uh, you know, uh, I felt like we did a great job and we did what we had to do. It's a survive an advanced tournament, so uh, we survived and now we can get ready for Saturday. What is up, everybody? Welcome to an NCAA tournament edition, a victorious NCAA tournament edition of Boot Up, the LSU Basketball Podcast. I'm Cody Warsham, digital media reporter for LSU Athletics, coming to you from Jacksonville, Florida, where the LSU Tigers knocked off the Yale Bulldogs today, 79-74 in the first round of the NCAA tournament, the program's first win in the NCAA tournament in 10 years to advance to round number two, where the Tigers will now take on Maryland. And I'll be perfectly honest, uh, I was in the arena for Maryland Belmont. Apparently it was a thriller. I did not watch a second of it. I was in the bowels of said arena typing up audio and writing a story for LSUsports.net and getting some things in place for a story at LSUsports.net for Friday and uh, and also gathering some audio, recording some audio, cutting some audio for this very podcast you are listening to. So um, I can't tell you much about Maryland. The plan for this week for the next couple of days is to have this episode that you're listening to right now out on Friday morning kind of recapping the Yale game. That's what we're going to do on this show. Get some audio from the players in the locker room. It's open locker rooms at the NCAA tournament, so we get a lot of audio, a lot of access. I want to share that as much as I can with you. And then I might come back Saturday morning, Friday evening, I don't know, with with some sort of Maryland preview, if I can, if I can gather enough to put together another episode. If I can't, there will obviously be stories up at lsusports.net that you can read, um, and we will just kind of play it by ear and see how things go, because that's what you do on the NCAA tournament and at the NCAA tournament is you survive in advance. We have survived today, and we will advance to tomorrow. So I, I want to focus, like I said today, on this episode on the win over Yale. The Tigers win 79-74. I'll be perfectly honest. I will be recording this episode without the benefit of of internet access. The Wi-Fi is out in the Jacksonville Hotel and the LTE on my phone, probably because everyone in this hotel is using their LTE, is uh, is going very, very slowly. So I do have a box score up in front of me on my phone. I do have a bunch of audio that I've cut, and that is how we're going to make today's episode. So thank you for being here. Um, I want to start on today's show by talking about the job that LSU did on my Oni. And I'm pronouncing his name wrong, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Oni, um, for pronouncing your name wrong. I doubt you're listening today, but uh, if you are, I apologize. But LSU did a great job on Oni. If you didn't know going into the game, he was the Ivy League player of the year. He is a potential first-round NBA draft pick. And if you're looking at storylines from this win over Yale, the one that stands out most is the work that LSU did as a team, that Marlon Taylor did as a primary defender, that the staff did in, in terms of game planning, and that the entire team did as, as a unit uh, executing to slow down Oni. He finished with just five points, two of 16 shooting, one of 10 from three. And, uh, and LSU did a terrific job on him. Like I said, Marlon Taylor had the primary draw on him. Uh, Marlon was fantastic defensively. He only shot the ball twice on offense. Uh, the fewest shots on the team of anyone that played more than 10 minutes, but he was phenomenal on the defensive end, chasing Oni around, defending him exactly the way that LSU wanted to defend him. And one of the great things about the NCAA tournament is we get to uh, hear from everyone in the locker room, including the assistant coaches. And um, we heard from Greg Heyer a good bit, who uh, had the scout for Yale, and he talked a good bit about the the concepts, the 
strategy, the uh, game plan and scouting report that LSU had in place for Oni and in place for Marlon Taylor guarding him. And before I play that audio, I do want to say this. I was at practice on Wednesday, and, man, LSU got after it at, at practice on Wednesday. I've been in, in a few practices this year. They always go hard, but it was it was really intense on Wednesday. I, I was working on a story on Tremont Waters, who is from New Haven, who played against Yale, uh, sorry, who played at Yale growing up and worked out in their gym. And I had to just stop a few times writing and just kind of watch what was happening at practice because they were really getting after it. And Marlon in particular, uh, I think it was Andre Hyatt. I, I'll have to double check. I think he was the guy who uh, LSU's redshirt freshman, uh, LSU's redshirt freshman guard, um, who was doing the scout team look of uh, of my Oni. And, uh, and Marlon was just all over him and uh, he was all over Oni on on uh, on Thursday so um, I think the way that LSU practiced that day was super intense super high energy they came out and started the game against Yale like that we'll talk about that in a second but uh, let's start here with with Greg Heyer here he is breaking down uh, some of the, the the strategies that LSU had in place to guard Oni we just want to do a real good job of just playing his right hip and and making him have to use his left hand and score going left and really the key was he didn't get a lot, about 40% of his points come in transition. So we did a good job of getting back and not, not giving him easy baskets in transition, which gets him going. So basically LSU's plan was, was it was multifaceted, but the main points were you get on Oni's right hip, you force him to go left, and you take away his transition scoring where he gets 40% of his points, as Greg Heyer just said there in that clip. And if you do that, you're going to make him a half-court scorer, make him shoot contested jumpers, and, uh, and make life a little bit tougher on him. And that's what LSU was able to do. Here's Marlon Taylor talking about his approach to guarding Oni. Scouting report was try to keep the ball at his dominant hand and be solid. And win the game and don't go home. <laughs> Mission accomplished on both fronts there. Uh, I thought Marlon was really engaged on the defensive end. The biggest thing with Marlon, we know about his his athletic ability. We know about his ability to get up and jump and make plays above the rim, knock down open shots. But defensively, it's all about focus for him. If he's locked in and engaged defensively, he can be one of the best defenders in the country. Because he's one of the best athletes in the country, he's got size, he's got length. Um, he can move his feet. He can sit down and guard, and uh, he can get up and, and contest shots. And, and that's what he did against Oni. He he looked super locked in. I think he uh, he he made a real statement for himself um, as he looks to take his career to the next level uh, in the next couple of years. He, he's still got a year of eligibility left, but um, I think scouts will look at that game and see somebody who can defend at at the next level and be a, a lockdown defender. Um, at that level because he was phenomenal against Oni, who is uh, the real deal. He, he's a player. He's, he's going to be in, in the pros very, very soon, and, and Taylor did very well against him. But it wasn't just Taylor. It was a team effort for LSU defensively. Um, here's Greg Heyer talking about that, and, and he's got a really good phrase here for the, the approach that LSU took as a team to defend the Ivy League Player of the Year. It's not just his job. It's his job to make his catches hard and to contest his shots, but it's the rest of the guy's job when he's coming off screens to be in the right position. And we had a rule for him. We had a 10 eyes, five guys rule on him um, at all times. So we wanted to have all 10 eyes and five guys in the gaps so he didn't have anywhere to go. And then he was going to have to take jump shots on Marlon Taylor, who's probably as athletic, the most athletic player in college basketball. And, you know, when he's focused and locked in, he does a tremendous job defensively. If we're talking 10 eyes and five guys, two of the eyes that uh, that may have 
struck the most fear into Oni and to all of the Yale players was Cavell Bigby Williams, who I mentioned that fast start that LSU got out to. Cavell Bigby Williams was at the very, very center of it. Finished the game with another double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. He loves those 10 and 10s. He's always seeming to get those 10 and 10s exactly. But he had four blocks as well, and I think he had three in the first four or five minutes. Really, really set the tone for LSU as LSU jumped out to a 9-0 lead. Um, Cavell was, was really all over the place. Had a great game um, from start to finish. Played 21 minutes. LSU outscored Yale by 12 points in those 21 minutes. And they were outscored by Yale by 7 points in the 19 minutes that he did not play. So I think Cavell Bigby Williams, maybe not the difference in the game, but a huge, huge difference for LSU. A huge impact guy. And a guy that has been here and done that. He's been in the NCAA tournament before. Um, he's played in, in five NCAA tournament games with Oregon two years ago when they made a Final Four run. He was a bench player for that team. I think he played like 56 minutes over those five games, but he got a taste of it, and, and a taste is very valuable. I think it, it um, the, the I'll tell you, just being here, it's different. It's such a different atmosphere. It, it feels like, I don't know, it's it, either less like college basketball or maybe the epitome of college basketball because – you know, you're not in home gym. You're not in your gym. You're not in a, a foes gym. Um, it, there aren't a ton of fans from each team there. It's a lot of neutral fans. It's a lot of uh, cameras and a lot more cameras and lights and interviews and media availability. There's just a different feeling, and it takes some players time to adjust to that um, because it's it's outside of the comfort zone. Uh, it does. It didn't take Cavell any time to adjust to that. He's been used to it. He came out firing. Uh, he came out and set the tone for LSU. And uh, here he is. I, I talked to him after the game for a little bit. Here he is just talking about that, about what he learned uh, from Oregon and how it helped him hit the ground running uh, in this NCAA tournament. You know, kind of just kind of learning, you know, from the experience I had at Oregon. You know, obviously I was a bench player at the time. I didn't play a lot of minutes that I play it now. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, it's a learning curve. You know, I've been able to look at other guys that's, that's done well in the tournament. Like my former teammates, Julian Bell, um, Chris Boucher, guys like that, Dylan Brooks. And I kind of feel off the, how they played, and I kind of just prepared myself in the right way, and I was able to be pretty successful today. Another guy who was integral to LSU's fast start was Tremont Waters, who was the best version of Tremont Waters in the first half of Thursday's win. He finished the first half with 13 points and six assists. Um, Tremont came out firing on all cylinders. He finished the game with, I think, 15-7. and seven. Fell off a little bit in the second half as LSU struggled to dictate the tempo. Yale, oddly enough, slowed it down uh, in a way that they usually don't. Kind of made it a, a tractor pull, and, uh, and it got away from LSU a little bit. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but from the start, Tremont was fantastic. Uh, it looked like he was about to have one of those just unbelievable college basketball games. He ended up having a very good game overall, um, but the, the the start was just incredible. Hit some tough shots, uh, including a three at the uh, at the the buzzer of the shot clock on a step back that was just phenomenal. Um, to to me, the play of the game was he, he ran a pick and roll with Cavell Bigby Williams, and got in front of the the screener or the the defender of the screener cut him off while driving to the basket hit a crossover dribble and used the crossover dribble basically as a pass to Cavell Bigby Williams he used his hand that he was catching the crossover with to sort of just slow the ball down and let it fall into Cavell's path and then Cavell caught and dunked it I don't know if people watching at home had the right angle and they didn't show a replay to see how phenomenal that pass was it was one of the best passes I've ever seen. I mean, to use a crossover dribble as the pass, but to use your offhand to just slow it down slightly so that it turns from a crossover dribble to a pass mid-flight is next-level stuff. And and Tremont was was really great in the first half. Now, I asked him 
uh, after the game, just what it was like emotionally to be in an NCAA tournament because I'd, ri- I'd written a big feature on him playing against Yale. He grew up in New Haven. I talked about that already. Um, but but this is something he's dreamed about. A lot. Of, it, what's funny about this team is a lot of the guys did not grow up watching college basketball. Like Cavell doesn't have a ton of NCAA tournament memories. We, we heard that on the last episode. The first time he remembers watching it was like with a Dion Waiters team a few years ago. Emmett didn't watch it growing up. He was late to basketball. Naz didn't really watch it that much growing up. He was later to basketball too. A lot of these guys started playing basketball late in their careers. They've only been playing for five or six or seven years at the most. And so they don't have a lot of um, NCAA tournament knowledge, institutional knowledge. Tremont is is kind of the opposite. He grew up in the gym uh, from a young age, following basketball, um, adoring basketball players. He was in Connecticut where there's Kimball Walker and and Shabazz Napier who had phenomenal tournament runs. And uh, obviously the tradition of that area with basketball rubbed off on him. Um, more than anybody, I think the the, the magnitude of, of where he is right now sort of was you could see it in his face uh, before the game and and so I asked him after the game what it was like just to be out there for his first NCAA tournament um it was honestly I didn't the vibe going into the game was a lot different but like once I got settled in and it's like once our team got settled in it was it was just another game of basketball I don't think it's any coincidence that LSU played its best basketball in the first half and that's also when Tremont and, and Cavell were at their best um, I, I mentioned Tremont had 13 and six in the first half. Cavell had 8.7 rebounds and four blocks in the first half. Um, so both of those guys were at their best in the first half, and that's when LSU was playing its best. Uh, I don't have the updated numbers because the the files haven't processed yet. But going into this game, uh, when Tremont and Cavell were on the floor together, LSU was plus 17 per hundred possessions on the season, and when they were off the floor, it was just plus nine. So that, that, that eight-point swing per 100 possessions is one of the biggest on the team for any two-man duo. Um, I think those two guys really drive LSU with Tremont as the creative force offensively and, and disrupting it at the top of the defense on the other end of the floor. And then Cavell is, is the finisher of a lot of what uh, Tremont creates on offense. And then the, the punisher on defense, the, the rim protector on defense, who makes such a difference there. Uh, I don't think there's anybody better to talk about how much of an impact Cavell has on this team defensively than Tremont, who was here last year. When that guy wasn't around, they didn't have that guy who could protect the back of LSU's defense, and it makes such a huge difference. We, I mean, it's 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 old news by now. We know how important Cavell is, but I think you saw that against Yale. Uh, once again, he's just so vital to this team, everything he does to protect the rim on defense. Well, me being uh, here last year, we didn't really have a shot blocker or a shot alter, and to have Cavell um, in the paint, he if he doesn't actually block it, he alters a lot of shots, and to have that, that – that uh, sticks in the other team's head, knowing that next time they go in there, they have to deal with that. So it's definitely a great boost to our team, and he's a, he's a great attribute. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Skyler Mays, and uh, I'll say that I'm saving the best for last year because not only was Skyler's, uh, Skyler LSU's leading scorer on the game with 19 points, um, if you were there in person, I don't know if it translated on TV, but if you were there in person, it was very, very clear that Skyler Mays was the glue holding that team together, um, particularly as Yale was coming back. Um, the, I think the natural personality of a lot of the guys on this team is uh, is, is more high energy, um, more frenetic. And I don't mean frenetic as in like panicky. I mean frenetic as in electric and get up and down and uh, be enthusiastic and vocal and, and get fired up. And, uh, and, and that's good and you need those guys. But when things start going wrong, you need a steady, calm, commanding presence. 
And against Florida, and we talked about this in the last episode, and, and Skyler talked about it too, when, L- when things started going wrong, LSU really came apart at the seams, and they became disconnected. Um, they, they just lost contact with each other. They weren't a team pulling together. They were a team falling apart in that game. Against Yale, even I know Yale made some shots and got back in it, and there were some frustrating moments, but I never felt any real concern about it, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would guess the win probability was never worse than – you know, 80, 85% at the very, very lowest for LSU. And um, a big part of that confidence that I felt wasn't the percentages. It was just watching Skyler. He just kept pulling those guys together, kept keeping them calm, um, kept being a calming influence for the team on the court. The The standout moment for me was, you know, it was, it was obviously one of the last plays of the game, but uh, Yale hits a three to cut it to three, which was, I think, as close as they got. And you could just feel it in the gym. It's, you know, it's one of those feelings where, a lot of gasping, and, and you could feel on LSU's bench there was a lot of tension. Uh, players, coaches, it was it was an anxious moment. It's it's basketball. They, they're, they've cut it to three when you had an 18-point lead. And Skyler gets fouled, and he's looking at the bench, and he kind of senses that energy, and he just looks at the bench. He says, calm down. I've got this. I'm going to make these free throws, and we're going to win. Just calm down. And that was the last thing that he did. But he was doing that sort of thing throughout the entire game. I, I asked him about that afterward in the locker room. I said, Look, Skyler, we we talked about this last time after the Florida game, um, this team coming disconnected in that game. How much of an emphasis was that for you against Yale? I think I think that's the most um, uh, that's the most important uh, thing I can bring to the team. Uh, you know, as a leader, just a, a guy who can be vocal when it's needed, and uh, you know, I think my demeanor uh, try, uh, calms guys down. So. Uh, I think that's the most important part of my game that uh, I can bring to this team, and you know, I'm, I'm glad we get another chance to do that. The leadership's good. The, the scoring doesn't hurt either. Uh, Skyler was really good offensively for LSU. Um, finished with 19 points to lead the team, 5-11 from the field, 2-5 of from three. Had a sweet inside-out move on the fast break that was, was really fun. Hit a couple of threes, which was good to see because his three-point shot has been uh, up and down throughout SEC play. So to, to bury a couple for LSU – on a night where they didn't make a ton, I thought was huge. Um, speaking of that, I wanted to float this theory that I've I've talked about on a couple of radio spots I've done since the game, but I, I'm becoming more and more convinced of it, and I actually think I will look at the numbers further to, to, to prove it from the other games. But yesterday during LSU shoot-around, I, I went out there and I was looking at the, the goals, and I noticed that on one end of, uh, of the arena they're playing in, the backdrop behind the goal is an open arena, like a wide open arena, not like a, a college stadium, a wide open arena. And it looked like the goal was just suspended floating in space. It was very, very strange in terms of depth perception. The other goal, the, the upper arena is actually closed off, so it's a flat wall, and it looks much more normal. It looks like a typical college basketball backdrop for a goal. And, uh, and lo and behold, that was the goal, the one with the backdrop, that LSU shot 60% on in the first half. And then on the other end of the, uh, the, the court in the second half, I, what were the final numbers? Um, they shot second half 10 of 30, 33.3% from the field. Um, so that's a, a 25% difference from the first half. They were actually 18 of 31. Yale, meanwhile, shot 30% on that goal, 29.4% to be exact, 10 of 34. Uh, and then in the second half when they switched to the other goal with the flatter – non-open background they were 17 of 38 
Um, only five of twenty from three, so uh, maybe it's not the most <laughs> the most legitimate theory, but I think there might be something to it. I'd be curious to see uh, the splits in the Belmont Maryland game if if they had something similar because it it was it was different to me. I mean, I've been I've shot in, in arenas before um, with different backdrops. It, it it affected me as a shooter, and I think it affects uh, a lot of shooters. So something to keep an eye on for the second game as LSU moves forward. But um, Skyler stepped up, hit some big shots for LSU. And, uh, and gave them some really, really vital leadership as well. Lastly, I think it's important to point out that Naz Reed uh, had a really good game for LSU as well, 14 points, 10 rebounds, made some huge plays, had a highlight dunk that will be all over the Internet, I'm sure, if I had access to the Internet. Have I mentioned that I don't have Wi-Fi in my hotel room right now? Honestly, I don't remember if I've mentioned it or not because I've deleted parts of this podcast. I don't have Wi-Fi in my hotel right now, so um, whatever's going on online, I'm currently unaware of, and uh, got to figure out how to post this thing. By the way, without Wi-Fi, it's gonna be tricky. Uh, but but regardless of my rambling, Naz was very good, um, especially in in the first half. He got off to a really good start for LSU, but he also had some big buckets in the second half. They ran a lot of offense through him. Yale was doubling him. He did a pretty good job um, for the most part of getting rid of the ball quickly. Uh, LSU got got it rotated, got some guys some good looks. So uh, good to see Naz get another double double, be a dominant threat. I don't think uh, I don't think Yale had any answer for him and. Um, he was able to uh, to dictate dictate some things for LSU. Emmett Williams also gave LSU a nice punch in the arm. Eight points, five rebounds in 17 minutes. Gosh, he has the craziest ability to just stick that ball up there, extend his arm fully, and just throw it as hard as he can at the backboard, but put some backspin on it and let it drop through. Uh, he had some big buckets for LSU as well. So good performance all around. Um, one guy to keep an eye on, I think Darius Days is in for a big game coming up soon. He, he didn't play a ton, only nine minutes against Yale, didn't score, only shot at once, had three rebounds. I think Days is uh, is going to have a, a role to play, though, if LSU is going to make a little run here in the tournament. So, um, I, like I said earlier in the show, I don't have much to preview on Maryland because uh, I did not watch that game. What I could do if I had internet was give you some numbers. Uh, I don't have internet, and it would take about five minutes to load on my phone. So, instead, what I'll leave you with is – um, a conversation, or not even a conversation, just a, a snippet of the conversation I had with Greg Heyer, um, where I, I kind of pulled him aside and I said, hey, like you, you've done this before. Tony Benford's done this before. Bill Armstrong's done this before. But how difficult is this part now where you've prepared for Yale for a week and now you have to turn the page? And at this point, when I was talking to him, they didn't even know who they were going to play, whether it was Maryland or, or Belmont. But uh, LSU also had the opportunity to, to or could have had the opportunity to play Temple. So really, a week ago, there were three possible teams that could be playing uh, in this game. Uh, eventually, it became Maryland. But essentially, I just asked, hey, how quickly um, do you have to turn this around? How quickly do the players get a scout? How, how difficult is this stretch now where you're playing in 48 hours and you don't know who you're playing? How do you prepare on such short notice? We'll watch this game live. We'll get back to the hotel. We'll... We'll prepare. We'll meet later tonight. We'll we'll give them a brief little overview of, and then tomorrow will be a, a heavy dose of preparation, film, uh, walkthrough, and you know, but it's the same for both teams. They're not real familiar with us. We're not going to be real familiar with them. And you know, so, if we can just give them a few. Like we, we used to call it crutches. You know, give them a few crutches that they can lean on um, to help us win the game. That's our job as coaches to, to figure that out in, in, a, in a short period of time. We're keeping it real simple. We want to keep it real simple and let, so they can let their talent and their gifts and their God-given ability 
shine on the court, you know. And we got a lot of guys that when you when you allow them to play that way, when you keep it simple, they play well. So there you have it. That's the plan for LSU. I know they have practice tomorrow. They have media availability tomorrow. Not until later in the afternoon. I think it's around 1.15 Eastern time. So uh, I'll get there. I'll get that. I'll see if it's anything worth turning into a podcast. If not, I'll come back after the Maryland game and recap that for you. Hopefully, it'll be a win. And hopefully, we will be moving on to Washington, D.C., where the Sweet 16 takes place. That would be pretty special. So um, that'll wrap up today's show. I am going to uh, turn this microphone off. I'm going to kick my feet up and and watch some more NCAA tournament basketball games uh, because I have not watched much yet because I've been working and so now it's time to relax for just a little while before we hit uh, we hit it back hard again uh, tomorrow. So uh, in the meantime, if you haven't yet, go check out all the stuff we're putting out LSUSports.net uh, at LSU Basketball on Twitter. Gus Stark is taking some awesome photos. Matt Tornquist is putting out some incredible videos. Um, we're just turning out really really good content. I'm very very proud of the stuff. That we've done so far and and we're not done yet that's the best part we uh we too survive and we too advance so um let's uh let's hopefully talk next time and if we're not previewing uh the maryland game hopefully we are recapping a win over maryland so uh until then thanks for listening and boot up <laughs>